welcome to Geeksploration, the podcast where we seek our zen in the art of podcasting with plenty of zest and gusto. I'm John Williams. And I'm Ben Robinson. Jump off a cliff and build your wings on the way down. I'm talking Ray Bradbury. Well, here we are, Ben. Uh, about a year and a half, not quite, uh, but uh, getting there, and we are finally getting around to this topic. Yeah, and I gotta try not to just gush and tell everybody, "Oh, this one was good, and this one's good, Ooh, and this one's good." That's right. Yeah, early on, I remember when we were talking about our podcast, we had pointed to some other podcasts in that 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 did that sort of thing, and we wanted to try to avoid that. You know, we didn't want it to just be a we love this podcast, you know, yeah. really, really discuss things, but we have not always succeeded in that. It's true. <laughs> but hey, we probably won't tonight either because there's so many good things you want to mention, but you know, you got to keep it, uh, keep it in context. Hopefully. I was thinking about that earlier about how, how many times in the past we've done a topic that I love that there's such a, a huge breadth of shit to cover that there's no possible way we can we can hit everything. This is 100% going to be one of those episodes. Doing the research for this has made me realize how much of his stuff I haven't read. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because you were talking before about it. You're like, oh, I've read it all. Oh, I've read a bunch, yeah. I thought, but man, like, the guy, uh, he wrote every day for almost 60 years. Yeah. Like, I think he published, like, over 500 short stories, and he's got a bunch of novels and screenplays and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, what was it? He would start his day off with a thousand words at the typewriter? Yeah. That's awesome. That's, That's nuts. damn machine. Just imagine the volume of unpublished stuff he had, the stuff that he'd look at and be like, eh, not good enough. Yeah. He was writing, you know, like jogging in the morning. It was like his exercise to keep his, his brain working. He he called it writing so as not to be dead. Yeah, and he did a pretty good job of it because he was like ninety some odd when he died. Yeah, he what he passed away in uh, two thousand twelve. Yeah, twenty twelve. Man, and that was right after I uh, I got into his stuff. Like I I discovered Ray Bradbury in twenty thirteen, and I was like, oh fuck, I just missed it. I found out I loved him in like the early two thousands, but I just assumed he was dead. Yeah, yeah, he'd been around since the or I mean alive since the twenties. So it was like, all right. Yeah, he's probably dead, right? Yeah. No, Heinlein's dead. Uh, Chandler's dead. Stark's dead. He's got to be dead. Yeah, but nope. No, he was around. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, talking, we're talking the man, Ray Bradbury. Um, I remember early on, uh, our first several episodes, you know, we're talking about time travel. We're talking space. And somehow Bradbury always came up. Um, it was it was funny because we're like, oh, shit, well, we can't just start talking about Bradbury because there there's inevitably going to be an episode dedicated solely to him. That's what you call foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, we planted the seeds. People have been waiting over a year to, <laughs> for us to cover this. <laughs> yeah. Well, and because he had such a phenomenal impact on science fiction and people that like science fiction. Especially, which is weird, especially for a guy that basically said, I'm not a science fiction writer. I think he said the only science fiction book he ever wrote was Fahrenheit 451. Oh, shit. He said well, everything else was just, they were just stories. It was fantasy. He, like, he wanted to be just either just an author or, you know, a fantasy author or a poet. But he, he kind of, I don't know if he didn't like it, but he didn't subscribe to the idea that he was a science fiction writer. Yeah, it was more like, it was more that was just the setting. But his stories weren't 
I mean, clearly they were oftentimes science fiction, but, but you know that that's not, you know, like he could write a story that took place on Mars that could have just as easily taken place in Illinois. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like the Martian Chronicles are full of that. Yeah. He specifically said, I consider it a fantasy book. And you can see some of that. It is kind of like a fantasy book. It is you know, fantastical things happening in an interesting setting that, um, you know, may or may not have anything to do with science. And, you know, you got to consider he was writing most a lot of his really famous stuff. It was in the freaking 1950s. Yeah, like, yeah. This is before we went to the moon. This is before we even said we were going to go to the moon. Yeah. So they, they could very easily just say, oh, yeah, well, you know, of course, you know, in 40 years, people are going to live on Mars as if it's Earth. There's just going to be neighborhoods and, and movie theaters. And man, we fucked that up. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was reading a story that took place in, in you know, the future of 1990. Yeah. Like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, thankfully, we're not under like some uh, bureaucratic nightmare where books are illegal and shit. But uh, yeah. You know, not being able to live on Mars is kind of a pisser, too. <laughs> it turns out it was a lot. It's a lot harder than they thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's that. it's not as easy as just shooting a rocket with people on it to Mars. Go plant some trees on Mars. <laughs> uh, I don't yeah. think that'll quite work. Yeah. They, it's funny how, how he talks about, you know, rivers and trees and grass and, and, and mountains and stuff. It's like, oh, that is that's not the reality of the surface of Mars. Well, but the thing is, at that point, they didn't know that. Yeah. Like, this was 19... I mean, a lot of those stories were... It was published in 1950, so they were written in the late 40s. Some of them some of them were published in, like, sci-fi magazines in the 1940s. Yeah. And at that point, the prevailing knowledge about Mars was... You know, we had uh, Earth-bound telescopes that we looked at it. This was before... Um, oh, geez. The satellites that we sent there yes. in the mid-60s. Uh, oh, man, I can't remember their names now. Well, geeks, let us know... Uh, Email at geeksplorationpodcast.com. Mariner. That's what it was. Mariner. I got it. <laughs> Internet go. So, uh, yeah, the, the, it was it was before the Mariner satellites and probes went and, like, actually got pictures of Mars. Those were in, like, the early 60s. So, at that point, like, they saw the canals on Mars and the thought was there was water running in those canals. And, like, they had, you know, they'd look a little bit different in certain shots. And, like, one of the prevailing scientific theories was... Well, that's just because of the foliage on Mars. Like, it looks different from different angles because of the plants growing around it. Oh, yeah. Because why not? Of course, there's going to be plants on Mars. There's plants here. Why wouldn't there be plants on Mars? Yeah. So it was just an, another setting where, like, it was a mystery. You didn't know it was there. And, and, and I think, unfortunately, because of the advancement of science and what we know about the universe now, like, it seems quaint now, if, you, if you're not looking at it through that frame of reference, you're like, oh, you know, like it, it's pure fantasy. It's like, well, you can't live on Mars. This is ridiculous. The guys get out and take their helmets off. Yeah. But they had no idea what the atmosphere of Mars was back then. This was speculation. This all could have been true at that point, which makes it so much more interesting. I love reading older science fiction and, uh, and older fantasy stories, you know, where, where you, you get to forget about all that stuff. Because like, you know, like we were talking about in Star Wars, like that that whole hyperdrive jumping thing that drove you fucking bananas because you know that is scientifically inaccurate. Like, I love living in a world where it's just sort of like, oh, yeah, yeah, why not? You know, like, yeah, cool. I'm OK with this. 
Well, yeah, and the and the and that's and that's kind of why it works better as fantasy than science fiction because he wasn't into hard sciences. Like, I mean, this space was a great setting for a lot of his stories, but it wasn't because space and science was cool. It was because it was a great place to probe humanity. Yeah, yeah, you could speak to the human condition if you had like uh like in in one of the stories uh that I read, you know, where you have a world where you know, third, 20, 30 years ago, all the, I mean, this, this may seem a little, little off color these days, but all the black people left earth and went and colonized Mars. And, uh, after 20 or 30 years, a white guy's, you know, coming to show up and you get to speak to the human condition. You've got, you've got people who are angry about the treatment back on earth, you know, and they're like, oh, we're going to fuck this guy up, you know? And then, and then the guy comes out all remorseful and, it gets to it gets to really examine humanity in a different context, you know, because it, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have the same impact for a Bradbury story. At least I don't think so. If they had, you know, like this group of people moved to an island in the Pacific and then somebody was sailing in. I mean, you could tell the same story, but, you know, all of a sudden it's it's on Mars and there's rockets landing and stuff. And it's it's such it's such a Bradbury story, even though, you know, it it isn't science fiction. It's an examination uh, on humanity yeah and that was in the illustrated man right yeah it was yeah that, that was a cool story because yeah like all the uh, you know all the black folks were just like you know what fuck you guys you're gonna be a bunch of assholes we're leaving yeah, and cut out to mars and uh and it, it was cool because it did have you know it had the different aspects of humanity like you know they're like you know we're out of here we're not dealing with this they go up there and then they kind of have that you know initial thirst for revenge yeah and then the people show up and they're like yo the earth's been totally destroyed like, yeah, like, like we nuclear, fucked up. Like, yeah, we, we, you know, we're really sorry. We were real big assholes. You know, so it's got, you know, tones of redemption and forgiveness and all kinds of stuff that, you know, you could tell those stories in a hundred different ways, but it just makes it easy to frame that all together when it's at that scale, I guess. And especially with, with, with all of these, uh, Bradbury short story collections, you know, you, you've got such different stories. So like that one could have been sandwiched in between like more science fiction based story you know about about astronauts doing something somewhere you know but but it all feels cohesive because of the man and his devices like one thing i love about bradbury is no matter where it's at no matter what story it's telling like he's got a way with words and metaphor and like like i i remember i wish i wish i could could have gone back and read everything that i had read over again there's so many vague uh, stories and memories and essays that just pop out at me. And I remember uh, reading about him talking to another author. Um, I think it was a big name, but the, you know, he was talking to this author about his stuff or, or maybe the author read his stuff, but the guy just called him out and he's like, he's like, Oh, I get it. Like you're, you're not a science fiction writer. You're a poet. And he is. Yeah. He 100% is the way he spins words and feelings. And you know, he'll, he'll be talking about, a man, you know, running down the street like the like the torrential downfall in a blood. He 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 makes you feel something uh, sensory that you can then apply to something very ordinary. And it, and it it just like that. That's what caught me from from the beginning when I was reading his stories. Like uh like the Velt. You know, you you can you can smell the the uh, the African desert there and you know you can smell the blood of the animals you can hear the screams like you can taste the color yes he's so different because he is so poetic and metaphoric mm -hmm. it's like the transcript of a dream 
You know, oh, where nothing, where nothing's really specific. Like he, 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 he's, he can be so descriptive without giving you a meaningful description. You know, it's not like Tolkien where like he can spend a page describing what something looks like in like really specific terms. He describes it in these weird relative metaphoric terms that maybe mean the same thing to one person and another. But they, they're intended to make you feel, you know, he's like a proper author where he he is crafting feelings with words. Yeah, like like you could have sand in your ass crack and somebody could could, you know, like you said, spend an entire page about about the the uncomfortable, gritty, hard, rough, yeah, just rubbing against the sphincter. Yeah. Or you could have Bradbury in one sentence, you know, just say like Never mind. I won't try again. But you know, he could. He could. <laughs> You're not Ray Bradbury. Yeah, he could compare it to to something very simple in one sentence, and you would feel the exact same thing. Yeah, actually. So I I went back and I'd never read something wicked this way comes. So oh, really? And got no, I'd never read it. Oh, first timer. Yeah, and so I um I got the audiobook of it. Which, if you're looking to get the audiobook version of Something Wicked This Way Comes, do not get the one that pops up first on Amazon because it is a pile of hot, stinking fucking garbage. <laughs> they they did like this audio drama thing with it and it's got a bunch of Foley in it. Oh, like like an old radio play or something? Yeah, they kind of did it like an old radio play. Everyone's way over dramatic in it. But the worst part about it, you know what they do? What? They strip out all of Ray Bradbury's narration. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I was fucking shocked how how far did you get into that before giving not up even through the first chapter <laughs> it was ridiculous like they they cut it all out and then they added new dialogue in to try and bridge like you know because it's like an audio drama so they're trying to do it all through dialogue and foley and so they added new dialogue to try and bridge things that he was describing and uh fuck you don't do that yeah cut it the fuck out so, if you want to listen to Something Wicked This Way Comes on audiobook, I recommend find the one. It's packaged with The Sound of Thunder, and it's narrated by Stephen Rudnicki. Rudnicki, maybe? R-U-D-N-I-C-K-I. Yeah, Rudnicki. And that's Stephen with a P-H. Stephen, Stephen Rudnicki. And he is phenomenal. Oh, cool! Oh man, he was—he it was so good. He had good voices and just a, just a really pleasant voice to listen to for the narration. And he he puts feeling and emotion behind it. Really, really good. Highly recommend. But from that, you know, it kind of—I was like, as I'm listening to it, I'm like, that novel gets a little bit—I um, don't want to say self-indulgent, but a bit. No, that's accurate. Yeah, a bit self-indulgent, where the descriptions can be a little bit too much and a little it gets very repetitive like there's a lot of like you know and then again and around and around and around and around and he says it like four or five times yeah especially there's like a part where um, mr holloway's got like it had to have been an hour-long monologue in the middle of this thing when in the library talking to these boys oh yeah and uh i mean it was so long it was cool it was good but it was just like man you can't talk to kids like this for an hour and give yeah. their rapt attention. There's no fucking way. You know, that that was the first novel that I read um once I first, you know, really got into got into Bradbury. And, you know, he's he's mostly known for his short story collections. And I think that's where he thrives because he can spin a yarn, make you feel something, and then get you out. And then end it, yeah. Yeah. With with something wicked this way comes, like I had that problem. Like 
that that was actually a tough read. It was hard to get through because I was I was just exhausted reading it. Yeah, it is. Well, and 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 so as I as I was listening to it, I was like, all right, I want to get a good, I want to pull something out of this is like a good passage that to kind of any because in case anyone's listening, and they haven't listened to Bradbury like the, when we're talking about how he describes stuff. I wanted to pull something out of it, but I'm like listening to it, so it's not like you can just be like copy, you know, write that down. And so I I did pull one passage out, but it was just like a random passage. It was like, yep, that's a good one. Because the book is like literally chock full of them. Yeah. It's like there's 10 a page like this, but this is near the end of the book. Um, read this short passage here. It just the way he describes all this stuff is, it's just ephemeral. And, and I, I don't, I mean, <laughs> I don't have the words to describe it. Indescribable. Yeah. So here it is. Then at last, the freak tent, the great melancholy mothering reptile bird, after a moment of indecision, sucked in a Niagara of blizzard air, broke loose 300 hempen snakes, crack-rattled its black side poles so they fell like teeth from a cyclopean jaw, slammed with air of acres of moldered wing, as if trying to kite away, but earth-tethered, must succumb to plain and most simple gravity— must be crushed by its own locked bulk. That's one fucking sentence. <laughs> See, and that that was yeah. Wait, Whoa. so were, so were you illustrating how that book is a bit much? Yeah. Okay. It, thank you. Yeah. It's like, I, man, like <laughs> I like I love those descriptions, but they're just they're so dense in that book. Yeah. Yeah. Most of his novels are kind of like that. That's again, like why I like the short stories. Yeah. They're not quite as just packed, and it doesn't go on for as long. Um, but yeah, stuff like that, where it's just like, that's a wicked description that gives you all kinds of ideas of what it is. But everyone who reads that's going to come away with a different feeling. Yeah. But everyone knows there was a big old tent. You know, it collapsed dramatically. That's what happened. <laughs> but man, does it sound more dramatic? Like, yeah. Wow. It's a, yeah, it's a bit much. Wow. Having, having gone back and read earlier stuff, you know, that that is that's far removed from from that version of ray bradbury like it like it 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 gave me kind of a little acid flashback where i'm like oh oh wow oh oh boy that's that's a lot i'm glad i wasn't a part of that yeah because i mean as much as as much as i love this author i will probably never go back and read that book again i don't i don't feel i need to there's still i i, I still have like half of my my bradbury stuff i still haven't read yeah you know oh, when yeah. i when i first discovered him in the in the time that I was reading my first book by him, I I went out and bought um like five or six more. Like that's how certain I was. Ray Bradbury came to me, you know, like just the right time in my life. Like I I was seven years ago. I was I was a lost person. You you knew me back then. I did. Yeah, I I I'd, I'd spent several years like spy, uh, just spiraling into some degree of alcoholism and uh fast food addiction you know we 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 always tell the joke of me passing out with chicken nuggets all over my chest uh, i got a really flattering picture of you i could post on twitter if people need an illustration <laughs> oh please don't oh no you actually have a picture of that <laughs> oh that picture of you in my kitchen where you're like you got like booze dribbling down your shirt oh man i do want to see that um i think i sent it to you a while ago you've seen it it's not flattering <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was generally pretty self-destructive and and probably depressed, and and like you know we we were we were working on comics back then, but but it was it was still pretty directionless and meandering. Um, but you guys had come in for a uh, for a Christmas holiday, 
because uh, you were you were already out of town at that point. And I remember like I'd, I'd been a little sick earlier in the day, like I'd, I'd, I'd gotten some hives and I took some Benadryl and we decided we got invited to a party. So we went to it, but we just got fucking obliterated. Do you remember that party uh, uh, with, parts the, of it. with the beer pong and shit? Yeah, your sister took yeah, us. That was to the it. one where we uh, we lit, it was New Year's, so we lit the Christmas tree on fire in the That's backyard. Right, big ass bonfire. Yeah, we knew nobody there other than my sister and each other. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that was a good time. Drinks were drank, <laughs> and I, I, I mean, that was top two worst hangovers every or ever. Like that, that that was arguably my worst hangover ever. And I got up, uh, not the next day, but the day after that. And I was just like, I, I call it mashed potato skin. Like I had some weird, either allergic or viral reaction to something. And it just looked like my skin was stuffed with mashed potatoes. It was lumpy and fucking gross and shit. Ooh. Yeah, I know. It's, it was bizarre. So, um, I went and got put on some, some steroids to get rid of it. And like I had hives for a few days, but, uh, that, that's, that's all to lead me to once I was feeling a little bit better. Um, I went to the bookstore as I, as I did back then. That was, that was kind of my, uh, my favorite place to just go wander around. Um, and I stumbled upon a book that had an interesting jacket. So you can judge a book by the cover. <laughs> yeah, no shit. In this case, I could. And, you know, I'd, I'd heard the name Ray Bradbury before. Like we, we, we had to read some of it in high school. Um, we read Fahrenheit 451 and Sound of Thunder. But I decided to read the the blurb on the back. And if you'd allow me, I would love to read the blurb. Yeah, sure. Um, so it said, a peerless American storyteller, Ray Bradbury brings wonders alive. The illustrated man is classic Bradbury. 18 startling visions of humankind's destiny unfolding across a canvas of decorated skin. In this phantasmagoric sideshow, living cities take their vengeance. Technology awakens the most primal natural instincts. Martian invasions are foiled by the good life and the glad hand, and dreams are carried aloft in junkyard rockets. Provocative and powerful, Ray Bradbury's Illustrated Man is a kaleidoscopic blending of magic, imagination, and truth. As exhilarating as interplanetary travel, as maddening as a walk in a million-year reign, and as comforting as a simple familiar ritual on the last night of the world. And from that, like, that shit just grabbed me. You know, so oh, I mean, a good description. I mean, can you Touches imagine on, like, reading eight that? of the different stories too? Like, yeah, uh, that's cool. I I was I was somebody who was, you know, I've I've always been a creative dreamer type, and I was coming out of being sick for several days, and I was just sort of lost. And to read that, like, it just spoke to me, and I was like, "Holy fuck, I have to buy this book." And I mean, it's no exaggeration to say that that changed my life. You know, like I've, I've got a Facebook memory that pops up every year of a picture of the the back of that book. And it, and it was just like, holy shit, look what I found. It blew my mind, just the description on the back. And it is so accurate to what's in there. That is one of my favorites. I love that book. Yeah, that book is my absolute favorite of his. I've I've gone back several times to read that. And I've I used to I used to carry around an extra copy or two of it just so I could give it to people. You know, I've given yeah. that book out several times because I want people to to read that and to get it. That's that was one thing weird to me when I was reading uh, or listening to something wicked this way comes is that like the main bad guy is the illustrated man, like a different illustrated man, but similar. Yeah, and uh, that was weird. It's like, oh wow, this is uh, 
I know this guy, but not this guy. Yeah, yeah. He's he's kind of a different guy. I mean, the 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 illustrated man in the actual book, yeah, he's he's not quite the villain. Yeah, I mean, he's a little more affable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can hang around a campfire and have a beer with him. Yeah. He's just going to blow your mind. Um now I remember uh over the years when 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 Bradbury would come up you were more likely to talk like you seemed more familiar with the Martian Chronicles than than me. I I did read that, but yeah, that that was the book that I fell in love with. Yeah, because I like space. Yeah, and it happens in space, but it's not about space. Like it's not really about space. Space is and Mars is not really a character. It's the it's the setting, but it doesn't really you know, especially since it's so different from what Mars actually is. It, it doesn't really. Uh, shape the story necessarily the story is what it is from the beginning and like you said it could be placed in a number of different places and still work just fine but what i really loved about it was that it's it's like a bunch of disconnected stories that are connected in time like they're all happening in the same place but no characters go from one over into another um, there's a couple of references here and there because it, it kind of goes chronologically and they're all on mars but they're not you know, it's not a novel. And it, yeah. that was, the, I think that was one of the first collections of short stories that I ever read that I, that I was like, this is fucking cool. Like these little stories and they come and they end and then you get to the next one and it's big. And some of them are like a page long and some of them are like 20 pages long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like uh, over the years I'd, I'd seen the title Martian Chronicles, you know, and, and it had been, uh, it was made into a TV series, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And they, the Martians look totally weird. Yeah, that's right. You did say that before, but you know, nothing could have prepared me for what I was going to read. When I, when you see a title like The Martian Chronicles, you think of like some science fiction epic. Yeah, it totally sounds epic. Yeah. And and I was I was so shocked. You know, I I think it was the it was the second one I read after The Illustrated Man and I was like, "Holy shit, like it's just more of what Bradbury does. It's just on Mars." Yeah, and I, and I love how he treats the Martians like right from the first story, uh Ela, I think it's called. They are instantly recognizable and familiar characters. They have they they even though you know he's describing the setting and there's like weird crystals and the floor's got like water running on it and they he's got like a gun that shoots bees. Who knows? <laughs> Everything's different. Everything's weird. But like these characters are full of human faults while still maintaining some a sense that's mysterious and alien. Like that story is all about. A, you know, the, the a wife, a husband and a wife who aren't really that happy with each other. Like they've kind of, uh, I don't know if they've fallen out of love, but they're, they're in the doldrums, let's yeah. say. And so she has a dream of these, uh, these strange creatures arriving in a, in a rocket from the sky and, and telling her she's beautiful and offering to take her away. And she like, she's telling her husband, he's like, well, you're, that's a fucking stupid dream. Uh, uh. And then like, he hears her muttering about it in her sleep about you know when it's going to happen and then he tricks her into staying home and he goes and fucking shoots the guy (laughs) (laughs) it like kills him like the whole like the first four stories are all about like the first few missions to mars and and they all fail the first three of them do and then the fourth one comes along and then it gets into like you know the human colonization of mars and what happened to the martian people and it touches on all kinds of different themes like colonialism and patriotism and racism and idealism and like all just weird little slice of life stuff and humor and and it's able to cover all of these different topics in in a, such a just a clean and interesting way that keeps you moving through it. I, I just I love it. Yeah, there's there's just enough of 
the uh, the mystery and wonder of it taking place on Mars for it to not get. I mean, because it's possible that some of those stories could be boring if they did just take place in uh, what, what's what's his fictional town? Green Green something Illinois? Green Greenstown Greenville? Green Yeah, Green something Illinois. That is yeah. correct. <laughs> He's got a lot of stories that take place in there. That, that's like the surrogate for uh, for where he grew up in. Yeah, and uh, and it even appears in the Martian Chronicles. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's been I know, it was seven the, years since I read it. I think it was the third expedition that went there, and the, the second ex- expedition is is one of my favorites because it's the like the first half of the story is almost a comedy, which you don't get a whole lot of comedy from Bradbury. Because like these guys, you know, basically they come to Mars or the second guys, they're like, hey, we're from Earth. We traveled all this way. And everyone's just like, yeah, I don't, yeah, whatever. Go talk to that guy. I don't care. And it's like the first half of the story is them just getting fear, becoming furious that no one gives a shit. Yeah. That they have traveled all this way and they're from another fucking planet. (laughs) And uh, it's funny. Yeah. And he's, he's got, I mean, well, this, this is not the, not the comedy thing, but like another thing he does really well is, um, is irony yeah you know i when we were talking about uh twilight zone i think we we mentioned bradbury and in that that you know he sometimes he's he's got like a like an ironic ending where it's 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 kind of dark and down but but it really makes you think like it you you just made me think of it with uh with a uh story from the illustrated man called the man oh yeah where the yeah these dudes land on this planet and they're like what the fuck? Where where's our where's our uh, our landing party? Like where's our reception? You know, th- this is a big deal. I'm Captain Hart. I'm fucking on your planet. You've never seen me. What the fuck's going on? And as it turns out through through clever illusion, um, you know, just I mean, basically just doing everything but saying the name Jesus. You know, Jesus had visited that planet the day before. So he just wasn't a big deal. And he gets super fucking pissed, and and you know he's like, oh, I'm uh, I gotta go find Jesus then, and you know it 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 ends you know with with sort of people just sort of shaking their head, and they're like, well, this guy like he's never going to find him because because of how bad he wants to, and how he he'll resort to violence to try to find him. You know, it, it's it's it and was very it turn out deep. that he's like there they, he's there anyway. He's like, oh, he's right over there. It kind of implies that. It, well, I, I, it seemed more like it was implying that he is within all of us, but he's not within this man. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Like he will. Uh, they were describing it like he'll always be too late. You know, first he'll be a day late, then he'll be an hour late, then a minute, then a second late and he'll never find him. It was it was interesting. It was also an interesting way to tackle the idea of a religious figure because you don't you don't really get, you know, hard christianity in in bradbury's stories so it was uh it was an interesting way to mix the uh the science fiction and fantasy with something like that yeah and and he does the the irony stuff well like he he seems so well suited for the twilight zone that's why when we did the twilight zone episodes like he only did one yeah and it wasn't even a good one it was okay Eh. so uh, reading into that i guess uh the reason he only did the one like he wrote like five or six screenplays for the twilight zone but the reason he only did one is because he'd written that story and he gave it to him and they made it and he helped them make it and do all this. And then like he sat all his friends down to watch it when it came out. And uh, due to time, they had to cut like three minutes out of the episode and they just happened to cut the most important three minutes to him out. Like, oh. like the, 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 is the one page of the story that basically was the reason he wrote the story. And, oh, and I looked everywhere to try and like find out like what 
what was that that they cut out? But I couldn't find it, and I didn't have time to like rewatch the episode and reread the story. So he was just like, "What the fuck, guys?" Like that was the whole point of the story. That was the entire impetus. That was the the drive of what I was trying to say, and you cut it out. <laughs> and so he decided, "Fuck this! I'm not doing it again." Oh man, see, I, w- I want to go back and uh, and read that story again and yeah. watch that episode. That'd Me be too. fun. I was really trying, like, what was it? What was it that they cut out? But I couldn't find it. And, oh. uh, and like I said, I didn't have time to go back and revisit both of those things because so I, I was too busy listening to uh, an audiobook. <laughs> yeah. It took a yeah. lot of time. But yeah, and so the, that was the reason he didn't do more. And uh, But he did do the wait, Ray, Ray Bradbury Theater show. Uh, yeah, was that what it was called? I believe so. It was on HBO for a season, and then it went over to Sci-Fi a few years later, back in the early infancy of- uh, Home box office? Of, yeah, cable TV. Yeah, I I never saw a single episode of that. Oh, really? Yeah, I watched a few of them. Um, I, I, I remember watching them years ago, and then I went back and watched a couple recently just because, you know, I was like, oh, man, I remember that. I went back and watched, like, Sound of Thunder. Uh-huh. And uh, it's it's okay. It's it's mid-'80s stuff. It was high production quality for then. Mm-hmm. But the, the problem with Bradbury stuff is it doesn't it doesn't necessarily translate well to film because it's like Douglas Adams. One of the best parts is the way he writes, and that does not come through. Interesting. You know, because the the, uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie they did in, what, early 2000s, I, I really dug it. And, and, you know, like having read the book, I felt, I felt like, I, like I got his humor from it. Wait, and he, he, he worked on the screenplay. Oh, okay. That was one of the last things he did before he died. Okay, yeah, because I, I feel like if somebody hadn't read the book, they, they might not catch as much. Well, and but, and it was good, but it doesn't. It's nowhere near the book. Yeah, like the 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 best. My favorite thing about Douglas Adams and Ray Bradbury is their narration. Is yeah. the story? Is their writing? Their words. I love the way they craft a story, and you that doesn't translate to film. Like you can translate characters, you can translate the plot, you can take all kinds of things, but trying to translate the descriptions that he gives for things into film just doesn't work yeah um i mean it works like you can you can get the point across but it doesn't feel the same and that's kind of what those were like the the production quality was good for the time they put a lot of time and effort into it some of the stuff like the uh like the the sound of thunder one it's like 30 minutes long but like when you look at like the meat and potatoes of that story you could tell that story in five minutes yeah if you're not if you're not like getting into the writing of it (laughs) so it almost felt drawn out because of uh, you know, they had to make it fit 30 minutes. So they're good. They're fun. They're kind of like Twilight Zone type stuff. It's cool because he does like an introduction to a lot of them in person. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it, it shows his office. And I've seen a few shots of his, like his office, like where he wrote. And it's fucking awesome. It looks exactly like I hoped it would look. What's that? It's a fucking mess. There's fucking papers <laughs> and shit stacked everywhere. And there's like fucking <laughs> plastic dinosaurs and like statues of robots. <laughs> it's fucking cool. It looks exactly like I want his office to look. And uh, like, I would have thought it was a set for the show, but I've seen like other pictures of him in his office from like interviews and stuff. And it looks just like that. Yeah. And he seems like the type of person who would want to do that as well. Cause like Ray Bradbury for, you know, I mean, he's a genius, but he knows he's a genius. Like, like he, you, you know, he loved being Ray Bradbury. So like of course if they're doing a TV show based on him, they, you know they they probably offered him a set or something. He's like, 
Oh no 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 no. Let's let's do let's do it here. Yeah, th- this is this is my game. This is my place. Yeah, it's it's so cool. It looks like you wouldn't be able to find anything in it, and it's it's got like a typewriter in it still. Like of course. He, like he said something like like I don't need a computer. Computers are just fancy typewriters. I have a typewriter already. Yeah, I'm sure he he typed on a typewriter for his entire life. Maybe yeah. a word processor once his fingers got a little uh little brittle. Well, yeah, because he wrote almost into his 90s. I think he published his last short story when he was 89. Oh, geez. It was fucking phenomenal. Well, in reading some of his, his later stuff, I, I do have to admit it did start getting a little weak. You know, like, like it, I mean, if you, if you wanted to be an asshole about it, you could look at it and just be like, okay, he's just phoning it in. You know, like, like it, it, it just seemed like soft Bradbury. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to keep that shit up. It's true. I mean, even even artists and musicians, as they get older, you know, the the edges just get a little little worn down. Uh, but I mean, I can't imagine after typing out millions of words throughout an entire lifetime that that I would be able to make everything hit as hard as my first ones. Well, and and he like he really did love like that poetic verse and and metaphor. And I think like like in something wicked this way comes. He took it a little far. Yes. Where, and, and I think as he got older, he that, that he kind of really wanted to like grasp into that and just, you know, fill his head's full of metaphors and he wants to get them out all, all out on paper. And it just be, it becomes a little crowded. Yeah. And uh, like for your first read of Bradbury, I would not recommend something wicked this way. Oh, definitely not. It's, it's a really cool story. I love the story. Yeah. The way he talks about like the train coming into town and the calliope. And, and, and a balloon, yeah, it's the creepiest like, balloon I can imagine. That book started so good, and and I was there, and I fucking loved it. Like the colors and the the air hissing out of, of of the calliope, and just the sounds, like it it was all there, and and it put you right into it. But yeah, it it just it wears you out by the end. It's it's a little long. It, and I really I did like I think his his descriptions of the libraries early in the book, like when they first go to the library was really instructive to how he felt about libraries because he he was self-taught he didn't go to college he didn't uh you know he didn't take writing courses and you know no one taught him how to do it he learned by writing and he and he's he's he said that he was glad he didn't go to college because it would have been a bunch of time that he didn't spend writing and the only way to really get good at it is to just do it and just keep doing it and do it every day and read a lot i think is it one of the directions he gave was you know every day write a thousand words, read a poem, read a short story, read an essay every day. And you'll just fill your head with inspiration and then blurt it out on the page. And, you know, he's talking about how he grew up in libraries and like, like in that he's describing libraries as like a place where you could go and visit all these places and time and space. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's, you know, hollowed marble halls where all of history resides and stuff. And like, they're really epic descriptions of, you know, a place with a bunch of fucking books in it. You know, and that's that's interesting that he that he brings up reading essays too, because that 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 was actually something else I wanted to talk about. That uh, was his book, uh, Zen and the Art of Writing, and it's uh, essays on creativity. It is fucking amazing listening to this dude talk about creativity and the process and how to get yourself in the mode. Like I, for anybody who wants to do something creative. I cannot recommend this book more because 
I've never considered myself much of a writer. I've I've tried a little bit more lately to be more involved in the process, but I've I've always had a problem with my confidence in my writing. I'm 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 an artist. That's what I do. I draw. But when you're reading these essays, like I was able to take every single thing he said and apply it to my craft. Like cuz that's the way he talks. He doesn't talk about you know, technical uh, ways to to craft a, a good prose story or a, or a poem like he talks about how to chase and to find your inspiration. And oh, man, I, w- I wish I had the book on me so I could directly quote it. But he, he talks about about creativity and, and like the creative muse being like a cat where where, you know, you where where you want to give it attention. It's like, nah, fuck you. And then you're like, OK, well, fuck you then. And then it's like, well, wait, why don't, why don't, why don't, why don't you, why don't you want me? And then it comes and finds you. It's fucking meowing and rubbing on your leg when oh, you don't want it. Oh man, to. I, I love it. That's and legit. And his very first essay in there, uh, it goes back to, to our intro. He, he talks about the words zest and gusto and how those aren't, those aren't words that people use anymore, but how, but how they describe the process of being creative and, and, you know, it's, like just living your life with zest and gusto. And like, you know, like I said earlier, like writing so as not to be dead, like for him in his, uh, in his preface to that, uh, or his prologue intro, I don't know, to that, to that whole book, he talks about not writing being a sickness and a poison. Cool. He equates it to like a, uh, to like a concert pianist who I, I can't remember who it was, but he said like, if I didn't play for one day, I would know if I didn't play for two days, the critics would know. And if I didn't play for three days, the audience would know or something like that. And that's how he feels about writing. Like if he didn't write for one day, like he would know it, he'd feel it and he'd feel pissed. And then just like every day would, would degrade him more and more until he would feel like, like he's dying. And I loved that so much. Like it, ju- it just charges you up. It makes you want to create. And, and like, I, I, I can't wait to loan this book to you and to go and read it again myself, because just reading the first couple, uh, couple chapters or a couple essays, um, before this show, like, like just brought it all back for me. I love it. Man. Yeah. I've never read it because I was like, well, I don't, you know, I'm not an aspiring author. Yeah, I write a thing here and there, but I mean, like, I'm not, that's not really my thing. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it'll be cool, but that sounds super neat oh it's so good yeah i mean i mean the the key word is is essays on creativity even though it's called zen in the art of writing it uh it's it's inspirational yeah everything i've heard you talk about you know this and before the show sounds really rad sounds like something i want to listen to yeah yeah that's one of the things i really love about bradbury is his vocabulary is immense like he uses all kinds of obscure or not really obscure but just Words you don't hear every day, and I'm a big vocabulary nerd. Yeah, I like words a lot, and he uh, he uses a lot of words. <laughs> yeah, that's actually something that uh, that surprised me that I never noticed until we started podcasting. Because like growing up, I mean, I I guess I guess I'll just say it that uh, your handwriting and spelling was not the greatest. No. So I think I just sort of lumped you into a general not interested in English. Uh, category but then all of a sudden uh you know your your vocabulary is uh is is big yeah you like big words you know like i I thought you had like a word of the day calendar or something no i should get one though that sounds fun that's the kind of nerd i am that of a word of the day calendar sounds fun <laughs> like recently like when you know um 
something wicked this way comes. I'm going to keep bringing it up because I literally just finished. Yeah, it it's, today. it's the freshest. Like he used mirth, and I like I haven't heard the word mirth in a long time. Like it's not one that comes up a lot. It's like I, it's, it's a good word. It's you know joy and happiness. And Wait, is that pleasure. what mirth means? Yeah. Oh, weird. For some reason, I had I had mirth in my head as something that was more violent and dark. Oh no, no mirth is is like joy and happiness. Holy shit! And uh, it's like jovial. Oh, I just learned something too. But yeah, like little, he just, he's got a lot of that in there and it's, it's just fun as a vocab nerd to hear him use near the entirety of the, of the English language. Yeah. Instead of just little bits and pieces that we all use all the time. Um, so what do you say? Do you want to take a break? Yeah. Seems like a good time for that. Yeah. Your sunbeam batteries are already down to zero bars. Oh boy. (laughs) Woo. All right. We'll be right back. Blitz Gaming Arena Coming soon Video game from the beginning L-G-A dot G-G Hey, welcome back, Ben. Hey, hey, I, uh, I am back. How was your break? It was good. I got, got a little bit of stew. I've, I've come back to the studio be scotched. So, uh... Hopefully that'll class this last half up. Um, so what do you say? You want to talk first impressions? Yeah. What uh, what was your first impression? What was your first encounter with the man? Now, I mentioned earlier that Martian Chronicles was the one I fell in love with, but it was not my first experience with Ray Bradbury. Mm-hmm. The first experience was uh, mandated in high school. Oh, shit. The good old required reading of uh, Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. Which uh, I didn't really like in high school. Well, to the uninitiated, why don't you uh, give us a, a quick little synopsis? All right, so it's in, uh, I don't want to say dystopian future, because other than the fact that, you know, the main drive of the plot, it's society seems to be working just fine. It's not like everything's collapsed. But basically, uh, over time, censorship grew like where people, you know, people would get offended about things. I think he called them like the minorities, but not like, you know, minorities like we say today, but like, you know, small groups of people who would say like, I'm offended by you talking about insects. They bother me. And they would get a book sidelined because they, it offended them. And eventually the government said, Hey, you know, all this banning is, is kind of irritating. Why don't we just ban them all? Wow. How many years off do you think we are from that? Uh, we, we seem to be in phase one right now. Yeah. Heavily. And so, uh, so yeah, all the books, uh, basically get banned and firemen don't have any work anymore because like, you know, houses don't catch on fire. We already figured that out. And so firemen's jobs now are to burn books. And the main character is a fireman and that's his job. And, uh, there's another main character who, uh, what was her name? Like Clarice or... I don't remember. I don't remember. It's been a it's been a few years since I read that one. Yeah, me too. It's but it's, she's the Bradbury stand-in who loves books and libraries, and you know is the uh, the voice of reason in the book. And uh, it goes on from there. Yeah, I I gotta say, when I was in high school, I I mean, I probably didn't read the whole thing either. 
because mm-hmm. I don't know if I actually ever completed a required reading book when I was in high school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Similarly, like the one book that I remember reading from beginning to end in high school, and it may have been the only one was, uh, and then there were none or 10 little Indians, the Agatha Christie book. That was oh, actually yeah. Yeah. what turned me on to reading. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I read a lot, like I read Douglas Adams and, and a bunch of other stuff, but like, it's like, I don't want to read this shit. The school's going to make me read. That's what Cliff's notes are for. Yeah. Or that movie with Michael York, where instead of like the robot dogs, they like the firemen had like terrible looking jetpack special effects, terrible jetpacks, robot dogs. They're almost the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I went back and, uh, and read it a few years back, I enjoyed it more than I remembered um enjoying any of it in uh in high school. Yeah, when I read it later I definitely definitely got the same feeling. Though again with his novels it's uh I think I just like the short stories better. Yeah. But I did for sure. enjoy Fahrenheit 451. It's been years since I read it, so I can't really speak competently to how it stacks up because it 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 was one of the first things I read it was the first thing I read and then like after I read like the Martian Chronicles and was like, wait, this guy's fucking awesome. I went back and reread it and enjoyed it more. But that's about all I remember. But I haven't it's probably been 15 years plus. Yeah, I was going back and forth as to what my uh, my first one was, whether it was a uh, Fahrenheit 451 or do you remember what year we uh, we read that in high school? It was it was like junior senior, right? Oh, no, I don't remember. Ah, I don't remember shit. things about high school. Yeah. Well, I think this may have come before, so I'll just do it so I don't say, that was also mine. Fuck, you're just going to make me wrong. We went to the same high school. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm... One of us is going to be wrong. No, because I did mine in summer school. Oh. Yeah. And it, I think it was after freshman year because it was Mrs. Shackelford, maybe. Ah, shit, maybe not. No one's going to prove you wrong. Yeah, man. yeah. Come at me. If you went to high school with us and you went to summer school with me and I'm wrong, email us at email at geeksplorationpodcast.com. Um, we read uh, the short story, uh, A Sound of Thunder, which has been oh, referenced yeah. here, yep. um, where these uh, this company has created a time machine. You can go back to, in this case, prehistoric times, and basically it's just observe. There's a uh, There's like a hunter guy with a gun just in case. But they have like a path that sits above the uh, the ground and you can walk along and just observe things. So but it's very important that you don't disturb anything for, you know, like the sort of butterfly effect um, where where it could have ramifications on the future that you would never um, predict. Well, and I think that story is where the term butterfly effect came from. Yeah. the The flapping of the butterfly's wings. Yeah. And in the story, I mean, it's been several years since I read it, but the story basically Dude goes off the path. Hunter guy kills him because you don't do that. Am I wrong? Am I totally wrong? I don't know if he kills him. I think he just brings him back and then like the future's been changed. Oh, for some reason I thought he, I thought they went back and shit was, for some reason I thought well, he, he killed Well, he kills him. At, yeah. Once they get back, he doesn't kill them, him in pre-store. Yeah. Times, no, no, no. Yeah. He doesn't like shoot him and leave his body there. No. Yeah. Because that would be even worse. Yeah. Um, and I, I, there's like a fascist dictator that's like ruling the world now or something when they get back, you know, Stalinist lizard men, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, travels in time, our old comic book. Yeah. (laughs) Um, wow. I need to go back and read that. Man, we totally ripped off Ray Bradbury. Yeah. 
<laughs> but uh, I remember even back then, like even even though it didn't spark anything, any love for Ray Bradbury, like that story always did stick out in my head as as like you know a cautionary tale and irony and uh, you know all the shit that I would later come to love about Ray Bradbury. Um, and then I also loved how it inspired that uh, that one short on The Simpsons with the Treehouse of Horror. How Homer gets like that that toaster that sends him back in time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he goes and goes and I don't know what the first one is. Sneezes on a T Rex and it kills a bunch of people. Or he sits on a fish and you know, it's, yeah, he keeps on fucking up the future because of going into the past and stepping on things. Oh, Homer, you rube. Back when Simpsons and Treehouse of Horror was funny. <laughs> that was classic Treehouse. I think that was the same one that had the uh, where they go into the three dimensions. Yeah, the old 3D graphics. Looked high tech at the time. Yeah. We had, I don't know if that was the first time travel story that kind of dealt with the consequences of time travel or not, but it was pretty early on. Yeah. I mean, that was early 50s, if not 40s. Because that's the thing about Bradbury, like there's stuff in the books, but uh, he published a lot of shit in sci-fi magazines because sci-fi magazines were huge. Mm-hmm. Like magazines chock full of sci-fi stories. I don't know if that's still a thing, but if it is, I should subscribe to that. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a magazine out that's called uh, Analog that that comes out in, in little digest format. You can find it at Barnes and Noble. I have a uh, I have several issues. There's also uh, a Philip K. Dick one. I want to say, unless that is Analog. Oh, cool. No, I, th- I think there's two different ones. Um, so it's just like, yeah, it's just like modern sci-fi short story magazine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I I'd say that. That sounds awesome. They're either short stories or like novellas. Either way. Yeah. I'm okay with the novellas. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I wonder if I have any on me right now. No, I may have, I may have purged them. So it was 1952 that it came out. Oh, shit. I recently went back and, and like learned about like the story behind Fahrenheit 451. Uh-huh. And uh, it's kind of interesting. So it basically- do you remember the story, The Pedestrian? Is that the one where he witnesses the car accident? No, it's the one where he's like walking down the street and the and the police start like hassling him because oh, it's yeah. so weird for someone to be walking down the street. I actually just read that one. Yeah. So that one, that wasn't, that was inspired by like a real life event where like him and his buddy were walking down the streets of LA and a cop stopped and was like, what are you guys doing? And he like was sassing the cop. He's like, putting one foot in front of the other. Oh, and shit. the cop didn't think that was cool. <laughs> And then he like looked around and thought it was weird. Like no one else is walking on this street. No wonder the cop thinks it's weird. Yeah. And so that went led to the pedestrian. And then like he was daydreaming about the character from the pedestrian walking around and like bumping into like a fireman whose job is to burn books. And that was the inspiration for Fahrenheit 451. Interesting. I guess he had like a wife and kids and he couldn't, you know, he didn't have a, an office. He didn't have a place to work. And so he sat down and over the course of like nine days, rented a typewriter in the basement of UCLA for 10 cents per half hour. Yep. You know, wrote the whole damn thing, published it in a sci-fi magazine. And then he ended up later extending it slightly for the novel, you know, kind of filling it in. But before that, this young publisher guy came up to him and was like, Hey, I got this magazine. Do you have anything I could buy for 400 bucks? And he was like, uh, yeah, sure. You can buy this. I think it was called the, the fireman or something at that point. It wasn't called Fahrenheit 451 yet. And he gave it, and he was like, yeah, you can buy this. And so it ended up um, getting published uh, again in issues, I think, three, four, and five of Playboy magazine. Awesome. Because uh, Hugh Hefner was that dude that bought it from him for 400 bucks to publish. Huh? 
And I don't know what Playboy was like back then, but apparently they were publishing cool sci-fi stories. Probably anything they could get their hands on because it was just starting up. May I, You know what? I'm going to use this for my favorite use in pop culture. Ray Bradbury helped launch Playboy <laughs> <laughs> in a very small roundabout way, but he helped out. He certainly did not hurt. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Well, my, my, my favorite use in pop culture. So I was, I was having a tough time figuring out where to go with this because I've never seen the TV show. Um, I really haven't, I haven't seen the, uh, something wicked this way comes movie. I saw the old, uh, the old Michael York. I think it, oh man, am I totally off? Oh, I don't know if, oh, I don't think Michael York's in that movie at all. I think I'm getting it mixed up with, uh, Logan's run. Well, I think he's dead, so you don't have to worry about it. Well, I don't want our, our, <laughs> our dear listener to, to, to get, uh, get upset with me. Oh shit. No, I don't think it's Michael York at all. Never mind. Um, so hopefully that, that person to get, that's like a Michael York purist didn't turn us off already before I, uh, caught myself. Yeah. Saw that movie. Didn't see the new, uh, Michael B. Jordan one. So I just decided to go to one of my favorite stories that it's so hard to say something like encapsulates Ray Bradbury because, you know, there, there's one side of, of Ray Bradbury that has nothing to do with another, but they are equally as Ray Bradbury as the other. But I, I chose the story from, again, I'm going to it because like you with Something Wicked This Way comes, Illustrated Man's the most recent one that I, uh, that I picked up again. Um, it's a story called The City. And it's the story of a, of a city where, uh, where some space dudes land their rocket and they walk in and, oh, fuck. I don't know if I want to give it away. I'm not going to give it away. But what I love about it is the way he talks about this city. It's, it's as if the city is a living person. Like it talks about its ears, you know, creaking open and hearing the rocket land and the footsteps walk. And it talks about its nose and its nostrils uh, opening and, and smelling. I, I, it even said that, that it smelled butter from, from the man. Like that, that was the word that he chose to use for the scent of man coming down onto here. Butter. <laughs> yeah. And it talks about, about, you know, like, like the city breathing in for the first time in 20,000 years. And, and just the way it describes this city as a person and as a character it's a thing to behold. I don't know how to say it, um, but let's just uh, say that that the city in the end is called revenge. So uh, it it goes it goes dark, and it is great the the way uh, it's the one of the more descriptive Ray Bradbury stories without as much happening. You know, like there there are little things that are happening. But he just he goes super descriptive with it, but without it becoming like a uh, a incomprehensible, self-indulgent mess, kind of like some of the uh, something wicked this way comes. Read it. It's good. Read the entirety of, of the illustrated man. Like if I if I could just put that in as my favorite use, I would. But I feel like that's that's kind of cheap because it's like, oh, look, the best of the best, in my opinion, right here. The use in pop culture was tough because it's uh like I said, there's the there's some movies and there's some other things, but most of them don't quite stack up to the the text. Yeah, like like so much of what Ray Bradbury is is writing. Like I mean, that is what he is. Yeah, yeah, he's an author's author. 
And uh, like, like, I think, I think my favorite story, the one that has always stuck with me the most that like the first time I read it, I was like, I fucking love this. And I still love it is also from the illustrated man. And it's uh, the Velt. Oh yeah. Yeah. You love that story. Yeah. It's the very first one in there. It is the very first story. And uh, it's just a good opener. And it's uh, basically, it's about like, you know, these people get like an automatic nanny or nursery, like an automatic nursery that like kind of lets the kids it's like almost like a it's like a holodeck essentially. Yeah. Where the kids can kind of play and have like their own, you know, whatever adventures they want. And it's basically a cautionary tale of letting your kids loose with technology and it uh backfiring, which is ridiculous because it was written in like the early 50s. Like what the f- kind of VR did they have back then? Like the black and white TV? Yeah. <laughs> like it's almost more relevant now than it was when it was written, which is so bizarre. Yeah, and and in that same story it talks about about the technology in the house, like like the uh, the the shit that like cleans your dishes for you and and mows your lawn and and maybe something even like makes your dinner, like like everything that a human does, or like even even back uh, like they even they even sort of put it in the context of like how the wife feels about things because back then you know it was it was the housewife's duty to do certain things. But in this uh, in this story, like the house has become the surrogate, you know, nanny and parent and housewife. And like the children love the house and the room because of what it is. Yeah. And not the parents because they don't do anything. Yeah. They're just they're just people that yell at them. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it all ends up going terribly wrong. I mean, it just seems to make so much sense now. Like it's still so relevant and uh, I just I like that story quite a lot. Yeah, that whole book is it's got a lot of um, it's definitely very Cold Warry. It's got that kind of sense, you know, that overarching sense of like nuclear doom and man's bringing his own, about his own destruction, and, and a lot of stories about kind of like almost like the futility of it all or the the senselessness of it all. But then there are kind of also kind of like peppered in with bits of like the hope that you that you can't see until the end kind of thing it, it is it's definitely a, a product of its time but it is so good yeah i mean my opinion may be biased because it was where i started but like i can't think of a better place to start like a better collection because like martian chronicles is a fantastic book but it i i don't know if it quite has the same variety and then another one of my my favorite collections is um is the october country and that one has a lot more of like dark stories and creepy stories and another collection called Long After Midnight that has a lot more of the uh the creepy stuff the more horror oriented stuff and though i mean those are so fucking fantastic too and then but then you also run into into some issues with um with some of the collections where there's where there's like little there's stories from other collections that are in there so there there have been a couple times uh with with a couple of the other ones where I'm reading something and then I I go on to the next story and I'm like, wait, I feel like I've read this before. And then it's it's hard to shake that feeling. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, fuck, like, have I read so much Bradbury that that everything is starting to sound the same? So I think that that's kind of what what took me away from Bradbury a little bit over the last couple of years was it was just I couldn't I couldn't tell what I had and had not read anymore. Well, and he does have some stuff that that kind of plays on the same themes and stuff like he'll he'll go. He'll do something and then he'll come back and kind of revisit it in a slightly different way in a later story. Yeah. Like the, um, 
the third expedition to Mars in the Martian uh, Chronicles is kind of similar to the city in a, into a, in a degree where the, it's a very similar feeling when they go into like this ancient Martian city that has been, you know, abandoned. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. And they're talking about like the cracked glass and the dust and the crumbling buildings. Yeah. And, stuff. yeah. and so some of the feeling of that's kind of similar to, to like the city, but different, but it's not the same story, but it, it like he, he does kind of retread some ground. I mean, after, you know, 500 plus published stories, you're going to retread some ground here and there. You know, you had something good and you want to say something more about it. Go for it. Yeah. The thing about Bradbury is he was always writing for himself. He wasn't writing for you. He yeah. wasn't worried about whether or not, you know, you were going to be impressed. He was, he was a man who was writing because he needed to write and he wanted, and he wrote what he wanted to write and he liked what he wanted to write. And, uh, if it worked for you, good. If not, oh, well, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, another one of my my favorite stories, uh, again from Illustrated Man, is it's it's sort of the the other side from something like the city. Um, it's it was called the Rocket, about a I mean poor uh, dude who uh, who owned a junkyard, and he used to go out and watch the rockets launch um, early in the morning or or even at night. I can't remember which one it was, but it was still dark. And he, you know, he would just dream about wanting to be out there on a rocket expedition, going to see Mars or Venus or Jupiter or whatever. And he had saved up enough money to send one person in his family because he had his wife and he had like a, a handful of children. And he's like, we can, you know, we can send one person up there. And, you know, they couldn't really figure out how, who to take. They drew straws and like his wife came up and she's like, oh, I'm pregnant. I can't go. And then they and then his son drew the straw the next time and he's like, oh, you know, I can't do like they all felt bad. Nobody wanted to abandon anyone else and to leave anybody out. And so this dude uh, came to the junkyard and dropped off a uh, a like rocket prototype, essentially, like like I guess before they would build a rocket, they would build uh, a prototype out of aluminum, you know, just to just to figure things out. And he he dropped it off at the junkyard or I mean dude bought it from him at the junkyard spent the same amount of money that he could have sent one person out on a on a mars trip and he essentially just like jury rigged it to where he could get his his kids into there and like play on the on the windows you know like like essentially play video of yeah. them like taking a rocket expedition out into space and just worked it to where he's like this is an old thing but i've got it running and it'll only work once so let's just take this trip and it was such a heartwarming story about one man who couldn't couldn't provide that that um that feeling and that that adventure for anybody in his family so he created it himself and he fooled everybody into thinking they had this adventure and it was very touching and yeah. it, and it ended so well because his wife was a skeptic the whole time and didn't go on the trip and you know she because she didn't know that it was fake but then when she saw what they were doing, like she just like, like it warmed her heart too. And she understood afterwards, you know, she's like, we, we can't, we can't give this to our children. So like, you know, providing them with, with one, one magical moment in their lives, you know, it, it was, it, there was no irony. There was no darkness. It was, it was just all hope and cheer. Yeah. And I think that's the last story in the book, isn't it? Um, no, there's one after, um, that is the illustrated man, you know, the, the, uh, the titular story. Oh yeah. Kind of like the, more like an epilogue to the, 
well, whole it, thing. Well, it's got the story of the illustrated man, and then there's an epilogue that ties it up um, with with the uh, the prologue from the beginning, the dude who's actually watching the story. Yeah, that one is cool because it's like he could have taken the trip himself, but he decides instead to like provide an experience for his whole family rather yeah. than just going on his own. And it really made me think about my own family. You know, like I, I don't have the, the, the money to, you know, just up and take a trip somewhere, but like it really made me think about the importance of experiences and how I really should just start saving and really thinking about it. You know, like I've got a six year old kid, you know, it's like she's going to grow up eventually. And I would really love for her to, to have some super cool experiences with me and Angelina and with her, her father and uh stepmom out, out on the other side of the country, you know, like it's, it's really important that, that they, uh, that they get to have those. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. One of the other s- stories I really liked from the Martian Chronicles is uh usher Two. see, look, look at us doing that same thing that we didn't want to do at the beginning. Yeah. Well, you know, remember I this, remember that. But. There's only there's only so much you can do in a case like this. Like th- this is interesting. This is the first time we've covered an author on the podcast. You know, like if if we're talking about a TV show or a movie or something like there's there's a lot of different facets and like factoids that you can talk about. And in most cases, there's a lot of criticisms you can give too. But we don't have a lot of any of those. So it's it's just sort of like, what do you have to talk about? It's like, oh, we've got stories. You know, we've, yeah, we've got we've got our experiences and our feelings on these stories. And hey, they just happen to be positive most of the time. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's two more stories that I really loved that um, I can talk about without spoiling them. There's a few others that I could talk about. But like, you know, one of the things that makes it really awesome other than the writing is the uh, end <laughs> oh yeah, we totally biffed it on Sound of Thunder. Like, even though we we uh, we're still we're a bit uncertain of uh, of how it ends. Oh well, boy, we uh... yeah. The, the the problem with that though is that, and I think we might have mentioned this before, but like anyone now that reads that, it almost seems cliche that that's how it ends. Yeah, because that is such a trope now. Like it was new then, but it's a trope now. That, you know, going back in time and changing one small thing screwed everything up. Like, there's been hundreds of stories and stuff that center around that exact thing. Yeah, we did one. Yeah, exactly. So uh, any idiot can do that. But it's not novel now like it was then. So, you know, that one, that's almost what you expect to happen when you start reading that story now. Um, But there's a couple other ones that, uh, like, where the end's really nice and and good and has some impact still that I don't want to wreck. So I'll just say... Uh, go read Mar- Marionette Incorporated or Marionettes Incorporated. Oh, yeah. That's a fucking great one. That would have made a beautiful Twilight Zone episode. Oh, 100%. God, it would have been perfect for the Twilight Zone. Read that one. It's also in the Illustrated Man. Yep. But uh, two others that I can just talk about what they're about that, uh, and then you can go off and enjoy them on your own is, uh, I think it's called Usher 2 from Martian Chronicles. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Basically, the plot is uh, censorship has run rampant on Earth. And, you know, this was during the McCarthy era. So, like, that was definitely a thing that was going on. People are fleeing away to Mars for all kinds of different reasons. Two of the people that go there, there's a, you know, an um, an actor and uh, I don't know if he's an author. I don't remember. Or, like, a guy that just really loves book. And they go there to get away from the censorship. And then the censors kind of follow and start censoring shit on Mars. 
and the the rest of the book is essentially they concoct a bunch of uh, Edgar Allan Poe inspired booby traps in order to trap and kill all the censors. Oh, jeez! And uh, and they revel in the irony that you know these guys uh, keep keep falling into the traps because they've never read Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, <laughs> they never read the books they censored, and uh, it's a really cool little story. Another one that's just kind of a cool concept from the Illustrated Man is the Exiles, where Basically, any author that dies lives as a ghost on Mars, but they cease to exist when their last book is burned or is destroyed. When there's no more, when there is no more copies of their book, they disappear. Yeah. And a fun story ensues thereafter. See, that is actually my least favorite story in the entire book. Oh, really? Yeah. It, it just, it reads, it reads irritating to me. I'm just sort of like, ugh. Oh, we get like like it 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 borders on on the self indulgence that uh, something wicked this way comes does. It's like that story could have been half as long as it was, and it wouldn't have been any worse. Like the, like the amount of times that that they're trying to like drum up support. It's like ugh. Oh, I get it. Throw these like it starts off really strong, but but by the end, I'm just sort of like, all right, let it let it go, be over. Yeah, of of all of the the stories in that book, that is my least favorite. So, uh, yeah, for my one-word review, uh, I am going to go with evocative. Evocative. One of the things I love about the way Bradbury writes is that he leaves so much to your own interpretation and imagination. Like, I used to say, you know, that he doesn't, I like that he doesn't really describe stuff much. He leaves it to your imagination. But he does describe stuff a lot. But he describes it in a different way. It's in a in more abstract poetic terms. Yeah. Such that it allows you to imagine and you to create the world that he is giving to you. That's why I went with evocative, because he's using words to give you feelings and pictures and and thoughts that you didn't have otherwise and letting you do it in your own way to a degree. That's good. That is solid. I like it. Hey, that's my line. For me, my one word review is the feeling that I got from the very first time I looked at the back of that book. And it's the same feeling that carried throughout, you know, every time I read one of his stories, just about every once in a while, there's a clunker. But my my uh, my one word is wonder, because all of these all of these stories that that we read you know that that uh that postulate on you know where we could go what we could do what we could feel you know like you were saying like the things that it that it makes you feel and and experience in a in a weird way creates a sense of wonder in me and and it it came right at the right time in my life when i was you know i i was really searching for something uh to to spark me and to inspire me and it certainly did and like right around the same time i was getting into like uh like brush pens and i was i was paying attention to to artists like uh like dave stevens of rocketeer fame or like wally wood um who actually illustrated a couple ray bradbury stories in uh science fiction anthologies Awesome. Yeah, and their 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 brush lines were so good, and I wanted to start getting into that because I I was never much of an inker back then. I used a lot of technical pens, and it 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 wasn't that good. You know, I wanted that lush line, and I always get this Facebook memory a couple days after the Illustrated Man memory, where it was a new sketchbook, and I was just coming coming out of that that sickness and started reading Bradbury, and I drew a picture of myself 
which I didn't do very often back then. And uh, I was, you know, standing at a distance watching rockets launch, just like the, the, in that story, the rocket. And to me, that sort of uh, encapsulated everything that that I was feeling in that moment with that sense of wonder, you know, just watching the rockets launch, being inspired by by these writings and these new tools that I discovered. And it, it actually launched into, you know, a series of I, I used to call it my coffee shop sketch hour where I would just go to a coffee shop almost every single damn day. And in one hour, I would sit down and I would start and complete a drawing. And, um, and most of those had, had, you know, they had a lot to do with space and rockets and floating in space and discovering, uh, uh, you know, suns or even playing golf in space. I remember I did once, but it still had that same whimsical feeling of wonder, you know, of, of, I I felt like it was something that I could have read in a Bradbury story. Yeah, you were definitely on like a 60s era space kick for a while. Man, that was great. It was awesome. Yeah. It's a solid era to get a kick on. I just, I, it's so weird because the place I was at that time in my life, I can't recreate it. And, you know, it's, it's a bummer because I really miss, you know, the, the, the stuff that I was creating back then. I was, I was high on something. It wasn't drugs. Ray Bradbury fumes. Yeah, yeah. It 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 just pumped me full of wonder. All right. So in a summary, go read you some Ray Bradbury. Yeah. No shit. Get on it. If you haven't done it yet, go pick up the Illustrated Man. It's a great book. Yeah. I mean, shit. You pay for shipping. I'll, I'll I've got an extra copy. I'll send one to you. First person to to hit us up, I'll send you a copy of the Illustrated Man. That's, In fact, that's a good deal. Yeah, go le- go leave us a review <laughs> for the second person. Leave us a review, and I'll I'll go I'll go pick up a used copy somewhere and send it to you. I mean, you can find it anywhere. Go to any used bookstore. Well, then again, I don't know. It's pretty popular, so I guess it doesn't show up all the time. Go on to fucking Amazon or eBay. You can you can find a used copy with shipping for like three bucks. It, it is hands down the best three dollars you will ever spend. Yeah, I I can get behind that. Did did you ever see the movie? No, me neither. I know I know they made one back in the sixties, but I never saw it. Yeah, and they I I know they I they bet only it's not as good. They only did a a selection of the stories. They certainly didn't do all eighteen. I think they did like four of them or something. The yeah. Velt was definitely one. I read about that. Yeah, I wonder what nineteen sixties virtual reality room looks like. <laughs> yeah, no computer graphics at all. Yeah. Hardly even compositing, actually. Well, I guess that makes the rea- the virtual reality look even more real, because <laughs> it was. Yeah, back in the good old days. Well, thank you for joining us on this rocket ride through uh, one of our favorite authors uh, today, folks. If you want to let us know how we did, please email us. I don't know why I slipped into this voice. Email us at email at geeksplorationpodcast.com. You can hit us up on the social medias. Facebook, Geeksploration, the podcast page. Instagram, Geeksploration Podcast, or Twitter at GeeksplorePod. And if you enjoyed today's show, uh, please go on to Podchaser or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five bottles of dandelion wine review. We uh, do have some merch on uh, shop.geeksplorationpodcast.com. As always, our theme song is Cruising for Goblins by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Until next time. Write a short story every week. It's not possible to write 52 bad short stories in a row. Just you watch me. <laughs> <laughs>